Hey there, welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. We've had some great interview guests lately, including Jurgen Klopp, Gabriel Marcotti, Henrik Mikatarian, Tony Sane, Roberto Martinez, Julie Foudy, and Landon Donovan. Today, we've got a bonus episode featuring my interview with NWSL Commissioner Lisa Baird. It would be absolutely huge for this podcast growth if you could subscribe, recommend us to your friends, and take just a little bit of time to rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. Now, here's my interview with Lisa Baird. Our guest now is Lisa Baird, the commissioner of the NWSL, which starts its 25-game NWSL Challenge Cup tournament in Utah on June 27th. All those games are available on CBS platforms. Lisa, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Grant. Lots to talk about, but first off, I, I just feel like I should start every interview this way. How are you and your family doing? You know what? We're we're actually pretty staying pretty quiet and contained at home here. I have uh, two daughters with me, one who came home early from college and finished her sophomore year, and the other one is running a category for, Wal- for Walmart.com from my couch. I think wow. doing very well. Nice. Uh, glad to hear you're healthy. Um, another big topic that I feel like I should just start off by asking here, uh, protests against police brutality against black Americans have been yeah. the main news topic in America and globally now for the last couple of weeks. Uh, how are you as a league approaching all this right now and then as we get toward the start of this tournament on June 27th? You know, I think personally, um, you know, I'd say we've all been affected by it. And I think at first it's shock and um, grief for everybody involved. And then I have to say, just seeing the protests myself over the last weeks and, you know, going to a memoriam last night, I feel like I'm getting really um, excited that the conversation is changing. I've been talking to players, some of the players, um, as we've been talking about what how the NWSL will change to support it. But I think overall, I'm really excited that so many Americans want to change this conversation. And I think we can be part of that. You guys are really the first league to start up again uh, in the United States later this month. Um, what is sort of the league policy on uh, on protests, anthem protests, things like that? Well, it's, you know what, in, a, in anticipation of that question, Grant, we kind of, I went back and looked because I obviously come from, came from 10 years in the Olympics and they had a very defined policy. Um, the NWSLs is such a, you know, we are going to collaborate with our NWSL Players Association. That has been a mission of mine as I came in this job. And I think our accomplishments in the area of compensation show that. But we're going to collaborate with them, and I think they're going to choose to participate um, in a way that makes a statement, and we're going to support that. In terms of your first few months on the job, it's hard for me to imagine a more challenging first few months for a commissioner. Could you just describe what this experience has been like for you so far? I have to say, I can't. I can't think of anything that might have made it more challenging. Um, maybe the angry hornets. Um, <laughs> so I'm kind of afraid of insects. So I'm pretty glad that that didn't happen. Um, but I think the hardest thing for me as a as a new commissioner was coming in and 
not having a game plan for how to deal with any of this. And so I looked around and I talked to friends and other commissioners at other leagues and nobody had a game plan for this. And so I talked to my staff, my owners, um, the, the players association, as I said, Brooke and Yael and I, um, and, and Becca for the U S women's national team have had constant conversations about this. And while I wanted to take ideas from everybody else and where there were good ideas, I did. I think we wrote our own playbook um, for how to return to the pitch. And I think it's a playbook that was guided by our first principle, which is to be healthy and safe and do something that our physicians work to kind of lay that guideline down with us. So that's been the hardest part is, you know, not being able to go back and say, well, here's what this league did at this time, or here's what happened when there was this flu epidemic. It, none of that existed. Yeah. I, I mean, I would imagine that you had to sort of balance the desire for health and safety with this tournament starting June 27th with a real desire to try and get back playing again. Yeah. And, and you guys are Literally, you, you are the first league, right? The the at least in the U.S. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to thank all. I'm going to thank all my uh, my other leagues for letting the ladies go first this time. I think <laughs> Kathy. I hope Kathy Engelhart's right behind me. But the the ladies they let it. The, they let the ladies go first. But I think um, I think that what you're saying is what I saw coming in and what attracted me about the job was what had been happening over time, but really reached a, a crescendo last year during the World's Cup, which is the appetite among Americans for professional women's soccer. For me, but mostly for me, for the players, I really wanted to pay that off this year. Um, there, sure, we had, we had dark moments where we said, are we going to be able to do anything? But I kept coming back to the fact that that momentum was real. And whenever I went on social media or talked to people, the fans are there and they're very passionate. And so coming up with something that our passionate fans or loyal fans who love soccer would really get behind. So this is a serious FIFA tournament. I mean, I think it's going to be really exciting for the serious enthusiasts out there because they know the players and they're seeing them in national media like they've never seen before. But the big win for us is to be exposing Americans that haven't really seen a lot of soccer or really don't understand it and be able to to get them behind our our players and our teams. What in your opinion were the most important moments in this Utah tournament coming together? I think that the, the first I won't go into it but the first was that moment and I I'm trying to remember there was a a call and it was a long call with the doctors and we had been on so many we don't have a chief medical officer. So I said, our approach is going to be to take the best of 15 positions around the world. And they were so helpful and spent so many hours on the phone. But there's one moment where we kind of knew we had cracked the code for us. And it's hard because we were writing many protocols at the same time and dealing with a lot of things. So that was a moment when I knew it was doable. But the other moment I will say was um, when we had, we'd kind of put the tournament plan in front of the owners. We'd thought about a regular season, we put the tournament plan and the owners were excited about it, but they wanted to know that it could be done. And when Deloitte Hansen stepped up with the Salt Lake bid, even though we had other bids, the Salt Lake bid was just the thing that I think convinced 
me and the other owners that we could really pull this off very, very well. We are seeing MLS is going to be playing a, a hub tournament as well in Orlando, Florida. Lately, we're seeing a a rise in COVID cases in a few states in America, including Florida, including Utah, where your tournament will be. How are you feeling about that right now? We're doing this interview on Thursday. Well, it's something that we're watching. Um, and we are in contact with Utah Health Organization officials. Um, the, the reason to do the bubble and to create the protected environment is to help mitigate that. Everything we're doing from a medical standpoint is to mitigate any factor that could risk the health and safety of our players, our staff, our coaches, our referees. Um, and so if you look at our website, everything that we're doing is to make sure that we have a safe and protected environment as possible. We're not going to be going out and doing trips. We are. We have an incredible catering partner and options where we can have these meals inside the village. So absolutely, I want to pay attention to it. And I never want to be a burden to the state of Utah, which is what our agreement was going in with Deloitte and the and the governor is we're, we have a small footprint and they have enough capabilities with three world-class health organizations in Utah, one of which we've been working with um, very closely to develop a partnership with. And they have the capabilities to handle um, the surge if it's um, if it happens there. And of course, we don't. And that's that's very important to us. So CBS is the new rights holder for the NWSL. Uh, you're going to have some games in this tournament. And Twitch. On, and Twitch. And Twitch. And Twitch. Um, globally, right? Uh, yep. And you are going to have some games in this tournament on uh, big CBS, linear CBS. You're also going to be on their streaming platform. How are you seeing CBS's role and the importance of that to the to the league? And how, how are they going to present these games? It's huge. There, there's no question. And Twitch as well, because, you know, we don't want to just be a U.S. league. We really have, I, I don't know how many international players are playing in our tournament, but on typical days, we have we have 58, I think, more than 50. And uh, my desire is to be the best league in the world and develop um, passionate fans all over the world. And one way to do it is to um, really get behind your player from your country. So Twitch will play that role. But be, having the ability to be on big CBS, um, I love that we call it that, um, <laughs> but big CBS um, with two games, the opening and the closing is we're not going to let that opportunity go by. That's, you know, about really promoting the tune in. So we've already got our marketing plan started. Um, it's all about these amazing women, the best soccer players in the world, um, starting back and um, we're doing that digitally. You'll see spots on TV. We're pushing it out because that first game, um, and uh, I can't say what it is, but we, we will be making the announcement soon as to what it is. But that first game has to be beautifully produced. And, and I'm always a, a great fan of bringing in where you're playing the game to that to that first game so that people have a grounding and and where you are. So I know Utah really well. And uh, this venue is, I just can't tell you how spectacular it looks. You're 
it's, you know, it's going to look Olympic-like. Sorry, all my friends in the Olympics. Um, but it will look Olympic-like. You know, when you see the, the, the Wasatch Mountains and you see this venue, and then to be able to go and do the final game in Rio Tinto, big, big Rio Tinto Stadium is, is a huge um, asset for us. It really is a beautiful area out there. I love going out there to watch soccer games and, and been on vacation a bunch of times, too. Um, in terms of uh, players dis- having a choice to play in yeah. this tournament, I mean, we, we saw maybe not planned <laughs> that the, the coach of the OL Reign uh, put out that Megan Rapino is not going to be uh, playing in this tournament. You guys had a different stance in the NWSL than MLS has had for their yeah. for their tournament, where they're basically saying, unless you've got like you're expecting your wife to give birth, that like you need to be in Orlando. Whereas you guys said for the NWSL that uh, you'll still get paid even if you choose not to yeah. come to to Utah. Like, what led to taking that stance, and and how? How many players are you thinking might not come, especially national team players? Well, let me start with it. Look, that was, as I said, the first, when I first started as commissioner, um, having a very thoughtful and um, trusting relationship with our players associations, both of them was really important to me. Um, I met um, uh, Brooke, Yael, and Becca, even even before I started, even before I met some of the owners. Um and I think what it starts with um, is listening. And the framework that our league is at, which is different than MLS and different than the NBA, is we're working really hard to grow uh, our compensation for our players and develop a, a sponsorship and a broadcast and a licensing business that will be able to increase pay over time. That's our goal. And the owners, I think, have done a great job of increasing that pay. Um, but we aren't the MLS or the NBA. Um, that's not where we are right now in our journey. And I am very, very empathetic and um, thoughtful in terms of our players have a lot of things on their plate. And to be able to have to deal with everything on their plate as professionals and then the COVID, you know, I think what is the impact of them on their families doing this? How do we how do we do this? There may be, there, there genuinely was some real um, hardship expressed by some players. So I didn't want to be insensitive to that. Um, and it's not like, you know, we we do have some tough conversations at time and we've had them. And I'm, I'm sure we will have moments where we disagree. But I'm glad to say that Brooke and Yael and I were completely on the same page on this one. Um, because I just think the, the COVID virus brings a very, very different sensibility to the world right now. By the way, Brick Elby and Yael Averbush are the heads of the Players Union uh, yeah. in the NWSL. Uh, Becca Rue is the head of the, uh, the U.S. Women's, National, US team women's National Team PA. So uh, just a little bit of background there. Um, I, well, did I, I figured everybody knew Brooke, Yael, Becca. They're, they're stars. I was on. They pretty uh, much are. <laughs> I did a panel with uh, with Brooke and Yale at uh, the Princeton Soccer Conference last December, and really enjoyed uh, hearing what they were about. Uh, and and Yale's been on this podcast before, actually, too. Um, so you you have a new national sponsor, Verizon, uh, that came out. Obviously, Budweiser came in in a very big way midway through last season. 
Could you lead me through sort of how that Verizon sponsorship came about? Because this seems like a tremendously important thing to get new national sponsors for the league as, as part of your particular job. Yeah, well, we knew, just honestly, we knew we needed sponsorship this year going into the year without COVID. And then to be able to, um, we had to make a very difficult decision with our teams to not have fans in the stadiums. And that prevented us from having the regular season. So um, our teams really had to deal with the fact that they weren't having ticket revenue and their local sponsors. Um, They had to find a way to deliver value for their local sponsors. So that's where the tournament idea came in. We, um, uh, uh, Lindsay Barron's on my team is the VP, is, she's in charge of business development and she had been talking to Verizon for a long time, doing a great job, um, uh, uh, trying to develop them into a partner. And I think that when we came in with the tournament proposition, that might have been what they needed to say yes. But I want to give Lindsay a great amount of credit for having that conversation going with Verizon. And I think Verizon had even been involved in the past, um, not as a sponsor, but involved with the league. So they're a company that believes in professional women's soccer. Um, They're a great partner to have. um, um, And, um, you know, while this year is a bit hurried to get on the field, I think next year we're really excited to what they're going to be doing with communication. And I certainly want to work with them to feature their innovative products. Maybe even in the maybe even in the game, we'll see. I'm I really think we can be innovative, um, but we we couldn't do it alone because we had this big goal of continuing compensation through the end of the year. So that's where um, P and G and Secret came in. Um, they are very very long time um, proponents of 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 women and through everything. Women that's their target audience. Um, that's who buys an enormous portion of their products and services. So uh, Mark Pritchard, the CMO, and I have had a very long relationship, um, way too long to say on a podcast. <laughs> um, but, it got, you know, way too long. But um, I approached him and I said, look, Mark, this is a once in a lifetime situation because we're going to bring women's sports back. We are doing something that um, allows us to continue pay for them. Um, and we're going to do it in a way that really helps Secret and P&G brands um, get in front of Americans in a whole new way. Um, they're used to what they do in the Olympics and what they do in the NFL. But I think um, you'll see the professional women's soccer is going to be a completely different um, discussion with them. And it'll center around some of the great messaging the Secret brand is all already doing. Um, but we've got some fun things planned, including some interesting, fun new things we have not yet told anybody about um, to engage fans, which uh, I don't want to leave behind. So that's uh, that was one that that was done very, very quickly. Um, when I called Mark and Janet Fletcher, who've been longtime friends over the Olympics, um, and, you know, we, we have a good relationship and um, we were able to get them on board quickly. And it, it wasn't because of me, I think they're smart um, and they saw the value in in not only our league, but in women's sports as a platform. Ideally, in your perfect world, how many more sponsors would eventually come on and buy when for the league? Okay. Um, Kirsten, uh, my PR person, said so maybe I, what you want to have is enough, but not too many. The enough is in order for us to get to a financially stable 
basis and realize our long-term goal of increasing player compensation and attracting, I want to attract the best women around the world. Um, so that's important to me. So part of it is going to be enough in terms of sponsorship, broadcasting, and licensing to be able to to do that deal. So that that's a numbers game, and, and I, w- w- I probably won't share the numbers exactly. But the but there's enough and not too many. I'm not a big believer of overdoing things. I would rather work with leading marketers who can um, who really believe in our values and our platform and our players and um, help them spread the word, um, work with the leading people. So I'm not as interested in um, having too many that we can't execute well for the sponsors. And I'd personally rather have big sponsors, fully integrated in everything we're doing and fewer of them. That's, that's the goal right now. But okay. is there a number? I don't know yet. I'll get back to you. In terms of just looking at your career, over the years. No, yeah. I try not to do that. <laughs> I'm wondering if you could just pick a few specific things from your career that you think maybe prepared you the most for taking on this job as NWSL commissioner. I'll put a, a couple, just a couple things. Number one, I was a, I didn't grow up in sports. I grew up in large corporate America and you have to put the customer first. You just don't, it doesn't work if you don't put the customer first and solve their problems. So whether it was early on in Procter and Gamble or even at IBM, solving um, consumers' problems call, that's just kind of in my DNA. So I always kind of approach it that way, which is what can we do to help the the customer, the stakeholder? In our case, it's the player, it is the owners, it's the audience, but it's the fan and having a vital fan base is the most important thing we could do and grow. And, and that's a commitment I'm, I'm making. I think the second thing was um, having the experiences in the NFL and um, the U S Olympic gave me, gave, gave me two separate and different, but complementary experiences. Um, Paul Tagliabue was my mentor at the NFL. And, you know, if you want to be a commissioner um, learning about um, commissionership from Paul Tagliabue is as good as it gets. Um, I wasn't in training to be the commissioner of the NFL um, at all or ever, but I had the chance to work with Paul on a project that to this day is one of the proudest accomplishments I've ever had, which is um, after Hurricane Katrina to keep the Saints in New Orleans. And that was, I just learned how how Paul was able to manage owners and get owners to get behind an initiative. And that initiative was about doing the right thing. I think the other thing that prepared me was working in the Olympic world is it's very difficult. There's so many different stakeholders and there's such long time horizons and the problems are so epically big that um, I've got a, a, a big patience level and a strong patience level to do a lot of stakeholder management because you've had to. Um, you know, you're people think, oh, you're going to the Olympic Games. Well, you're actually working on four Olympic and Paralympic Games at the same time. You're working on the one you're going into, the next Winter Games, which is a completely new delegation, a completely different country, and then you're working out years to start to prepare for the next Summer Games. So you're working always in in three time time zones. Um, But I think that idea of being a stakeholder manager and communicating often and quickly is something that I'm trying to do with my owners. I think they really value that. 
Um, I, uh, and, and, and I think they're behind me and moving fast to, to make as much possible happen this, with this tournament. I wanted to ask you just about one of the, the biggest challenges for any commissioner in sports is dealing with owners, uh, and, and sometimes trying to find consensus, um, you know, sort of, it's sort of famous actually how the NWSL owners over the years at times have been a, a fairly fractious group, but <laughs> they like, to, they've, they've argued a fair amount. Um, what's your experience been so far and, and how do you sort of, what's your strategy for, for working with owners and trying to find consensus? Yeah, look, I would suspect every commissioner has their very graceful way of dealing with it. But I think when you think about owners, here's what I think about it. I did learn this at, um, at, uh, um, the NFL, but I really learned it in the Olympic world. So owners in the Olympic world are heads of countries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they own their country, you know, they have their own laws, they have their own ways of doing things and you're going to work with them. Um, but I think it's, uh, I think I found it easier because, um, first of all, we're a small group, 10 owners. Second of all, I, I've i been trying to lay out in advance what's in the interest of the whole league um, and how do we get there. And I think we're seeing a lot of um, common ground among owners. The, the decision to play the players through the rest of the year was a unanimous decision. The decision to do the tour- tournament was a unanimous decision. Um and and those are ones where there, you know, there could have been different points of view on that, but it was unanimous. So I've been looking for those areas where we have common ground. Where we haven't had common ground, that's why you have a commissioner. It's not all easy. Um, you know, particularly if you're new in your job, you kind of want to, um, you want to divert to make everybody happy, but you can't because you're running a league. So um, I'm pushing ahead with the vision, the mission. I think the key thing is communicate often, communicate clearly, um, don't get caught up in the moment, keep the vision of the long term in front of you. And um, there are things that I don't want to do right now that I'm consciously deferring. There are big issues that I do not want to deal with now. So I've also had a pretty good, I think, compass about what needs to be done in this season and and what we're going to push till later when we can all think about it. As of right now, where are you guys on expansion in the NWSL? We're having all the conversations. I'm actually really thrilled about um, the conversations that are going on. And I think, um, you know, hopefully we'll have news soon. Um, You kind of have this expectation in the economy and the COVID that everything just stops, right? That I, I would say no one was more surprised than me to be engaging in these conversations real. Um, so we'll have some new news on that. And I think it's going to be exciting to soccer fans who really want um, the NWSL to come to their market. Ooh. But first, we'll be um, doing a lot to welcome Louisville and get them ready. So the first priority is um, not only to do the tournament well, but make sure that our partner Louisville is um, getting through their um, entry in the league very smoothly. And that's that's a real focus for us right now, because now's the timing when those decisions happen. So is it official that there will be no season after this tournament? It's not official um, at all. We I'm open to it. Um, there's a couple things that I think 
we would be, as ownership and players would be better informed about. So I don't think we have too much time to make a decision. Um, but I think we have some time. And one of the things I want to do is really look at what happened in the tournament and with audiences and with um, looking at other leagues and how other leagues are able to open with fans or not and what they're doing. Um, because we have a, a, a real constraint, which is we, we would probably need fans to participate in some way um, in the fall. And that is not clear to me. But um, I've got some interesting really interesting ideas that I haven't um, told anyone yet. So to my head of soccer operations, just bear with me. Um, and uh, uh, I have some really interesting ideas. Um, I want to be an innovative league. I don't want to just do the status quo. And I think our fans are anxious for it. So it may not be what you expect, but it might be something um, pretty cool. Because I'd hate to take all the momentum that we're raising for the tournament and then just go quiet. So um, we'll do something, but I'm not, um, I'm not ready yet to do it. And, and I think it might be something different that people are expecting. Just to wrap up here, I'd be curious to know, is there anything that your fans who are listening to this interview right now for the league, uh, that those fans might get excited about, about what's coming in this tournament that we haven't talked about? Well, we're going to have a series of announcements coming up. I mean, obviously, it's going to be the game matchups, the first game. Um, I think they're interested in that from what I've seen on social media. Um, our awards, um, we're working on announcing that. Um, as soon as our competition committee blesses it, you're going to see the competition um, rules. This is all a really big series of announcements that's going to come out in the next week to 10 days. Um, there might be something on a new trophy, which is something that I know the fans really want. Um, <laughs> it's hard to say that that was a big priority, but it's a big priority of the fans, so it's a commissioner priority. So we're working really hard on our new trophy and, and launching that. Um, and, um, you know, the fans have been pretty vocal about they'd really like to see more more ability to get fan gear. So you might see something for us on that. So got a lot going on and then as I said to leave that um, we know you're going to be watching at home on CBS but we're looking to for some creative ways to get fans engaged in the actual tournament game so um, uh, Kirsten who's my head of media has a really 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 hard job over the next month and a half Lisa Baird is the commissioner of the NWSL, which starts its 25-game NWSL Challenge Cup tournament in Utah on June 27th. All those games are available on CBS platforms. Lisa, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Grant, and I'll see you in Utah. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I can't tell you how much that helps. I'd like to thank Lisa Baird as well as producer Chris Whittingham. also want to thank Taylor Rockwell and Daryl Grove of the Total Soccer Show for everything they've done to help get this show off the ground. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time. <laughs>